For scripture reading, we read from 1 Corinthians 15. Read the latter portion of the chapter, start at verse 31. First Corinthians 15, starting at verse 31. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with the beasts of Ephesus, what advantage it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him. And to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There's one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit 
incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So far we read from the Holy Scriptures tonight, and we just read, and all of Scripture are the basis for the teaching of Lord's Day 22. Lord's Day 22 is on those last two articles of the Apostles' Creed, on the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Lord's Day 22. What comfort doth the resurrection of the body afford thee? That not only my soul after this life shall be immediately taken up to Christ, its head, but also that this my body, being raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like unto the glorious body of Christ. What comfort takest thou from the article of life everlasting, that since I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, after this life I shall inherit perfect salvation, which I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man to conceive, and that to praise God therein forever. Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, you notice how both of the answers well, both of the questions have to do with the general theme of the Heidelberg Catechism of Comfort. 
What comfort doth the resurrection of the body afford thee? What comfort takest thou from the article of life everlasting? Indeed, these two articles are very, very comforting in the trials that we face. Of whatever nature that trial may be, we have comfort and we confess these doctrines, the truth concerning the bodily resurrection and life everlasting. And what, what a comfort that is. You know, we, we just sang, just moments ago, we sang a statement. Of course, there's many statements like this. Thy servant's children shall remain forevermore before thy face. Is that reality? And we say, it is. We, we know that. It really is true. And it's easy to just sing and not really pay too much attention to what we're singing. But when our mind is on what we're saying, thy servant's children, will, will we shall remain forever before thy face, forever with God. The covenant, forever communing with God, enduring honor, they shall gain honor. And the passage that we read spoke about the bodily resurrection. That it's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. The glory that we will one day receive. And we'll all be together. Now the saints right now that have died they have great joy beyond what we could know and we often talk of that when a loved one dies that as much as we miss them we have joy as we are glad as we think of the, the joy that they have and that they're alive and we often say they wouldn't want to want to come back we say that frequently but all the same aren't there. And their bodies haven't been written. So on the one hand, they do have great joy. But it's also the case that their bodies are lying in the grave. They're in heaven in their soul, and in their bodies, they're in the grave. The Bible speaks that way. It says they're in heaven. It says they're in the grave. And there's going to be that bodily resurrection that God has promised us. And then we'll all be together with Christ. And we will dwell together 
forever. What a hope we have. The full realization of the, of the marriage of Christ and his church. The full realization of that. We marvel to think of it. And on the one hand, when we do think on these things, we think of how the sufferings of this pleasant time are worthy to be compared. And whatever our difficulties may be, our mind often does turn to this subject. And for a believer, we make that confession that it, it really is reality, that that often does happen. And in this life, we have a lot of struggles and a lot of trials, a lot of disappointments. And in the difficulties we face, God does remind us of what we confess it. The future we have. And the people of the world have no hope. We have hope. The future that we have, looking beyond this life, in that life to come, what's going to happen after this life? We think on these things. What a joy, what a comfort we have. And then what do we do? We're not inactive. We're to be busy at work. You notice how this last, this chapter... 1 Corinthians 15, which is one of the most detailed. It's got, there is so much instruction in these verses on the bodily resurrection. It's a rather long section on it. And we'll consider just some of the details tonight. But also note, it's good to note when we look at a passage that's teaching us about a fundamental truth, a truth that was confessed already in, when the Apostles' Creed was put together. As short as that creed is, these two articles were in there, that we believe the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Well, as we consider that truth, What's going to happen to us after this life? We also see and look to Scripture to see exhortations that you find in the context of the teaching of that doctrine. So that when the question is asked, you know, how are you going to, how do you apply this doctrine? How shall we then live? Well, one way is to look at passages. One way to, to know what some applications are is to look at the passages, central passages where the doctrine is preached, is taught, rather, and then see what are the exhortations there. In addition to the being on guard against those that are teaching falsely, like there were those that were saying there is no resurrection. But also that last verse of this chapter says, Therefore, 
My beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So many are busy, selfishly engaged in their own carnal activities. And they're not laboring in the service of God. Not laboring to the glory of God. Not striving to honor his name. This verse tells us that in our work, in our work in the home. In all the work that is involved in the rearing of a covenant child. In caring for covenant children. At different ages. Not only when they're younger, but also as they grow older. And also to be able to be an encouragement to them as they become adults. And in all of our interaction with one another. All of our talking to one another. And all of our trying to find, looking to assist one another when we see an opportunity to help. Using our gifts for the advantage of the other members. Laboring in God's service. Knowing what God has promised us, believing what he has told us. Therefore, my beloved brethren, addressing us as beloved brethren, we're going to live together forever. We're friends. We're family. Brethren, beloved, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Your labor is not in vain. We consider this Lord's Day under the theme, After This Life. We consider, first of all, the intermediate state, as it's often referred to. Secondly, the future redemption. The resurrection of the body is referred to as the redemption of the body. We consider the future redemption and then the life everlasting. With regard to the intermediate state, that's a term that we use for the time between death and when our bodies are raised. That during that time, it's called the intermediate state. Our souls are with Christ in heaven, and in our bodies we are in the, in the grave. We continue to live. We're immortal. We have true immortality. The unbeliever, in various places as we go through this, is going to mention briefly what's true of the unbeliever. The unbeliever also, after they die, they continue to exist. Someone might conceive of, you know, two different possibilities. That the soul is mortal or the soul is immortal. And thinking, well, if the soul is mortal, then it ceases to exist when a person dies. It's like their body returns to dust, so their soul ceases to exist. Or if their soul is immortal then that would mean that they continue to live somewhere. And many people of the world talk about an idea that, you know, maybe they'll go somewhere after this life and maybe it'll be a happier place. But don't really know for sure what's going to happen. It'd be interesting to ask people of the world, what do you think's going to happen to you after you die? 
Some would like to think that they'd cease to exist after they die. And yet the Bible does not teach that. It doesn't teach that the unbeliever is immortal in the sense of having immortal life, never-ending life, but it does teach that the soul continues to exist. And the unbelievers who have died are right now suffering in hell. And the Bible clearly teaches that it's, it's undeniable. Immortality. The term immortality, I bring up that term, it is used in the Belgic Confession, Article 37, speaking about the unbeliever's soul. And it says the unbeliever's soul is immortal. Being immortal, they shall be tormented in that everlasting fire, and so on. We point out here that when the Belgic Confession uses the word immortal in that sense, it's using the term not in the same way that the scriptures do. It's using the word immortal to mean they continue to exist. Where really in scripture it means you continue to live. There's a difference between continuing to exist and continuing to live. The Belgian Confession, when the term appears, that they're, that being immortal, they'll be tormented forever in everlasting fire, that means they really do continue to exist and suffer and are tormented. And that, the thought of that, a torment that never ends. And that that's what you and I deserve. And that's what's happened. Many people right now are in that torment. There are those that speak of the torment as ending after a time. Familiar with the fact that the Roman Romish church speaks of what they call purgatory. And that most people who die, most believers that die, would go through a time of torment, time of suffering, but then they would act, after a while, they would get out of it. And we say, on the one hand, that denies that Christ fully satisfied for all our sins, which the scriptures clearly teach. To say that we still have to suffer for a while. Plus, the scriptures repeatedly say that we go immediately to be with Christ when we die. As Jesus even said to that thief that was converted on the cross. We may wonder, why would somebody teach that I mean, that is certainly not comforting, the thought that we're going to have to go to this place for a while and there's going to be this suffering after this life. One thing to remember with regard to that is to look at, does it benefit 
when considering teachings that are false, in considering how would an unbeliever think, an unbeliever would like to think that the suffering, if there's going to be suffering after this life, that at least it would end after a while. And that it wouldn't continue. So that as they continue on in their sin in this life, they'd like to entertain the notion, well, there's probably going to be some suffering for them after this life. But they'll eventually, they'll eventually emerge out of it. There was a Reformed theologian uh, who was a professor at the University of Leiden who died in 1995, whose name was Hendrikus Berkhoff, who wrote, for God's sake, we hope that hell will be a form of purification. It's quite the statement. For God's sake, we hope that hell will be a form of purification. We see how that's related to what purgatory the doctrine of purgatory. My sinful man might want to go in that direction. And with regard to false teaching, sometimes children of God, for a time, you know, have an idea that is not correct. But false teachings that grab a hold and many people hold to them, there can be a benefit in looking at it from the point of view, why would so many want to hold to this and see how sinful man may appeal to sinful man? But it's a denial of what Scripture clearly teaches. There are those that also teach that the soul sleeps and that after the, when a person dies, then their soul for a while sleeps until the last, until Christ returns. Well, there are verses that speak of the dead as sleeping. There's a number of them. But it doesn't mean that we sleep in our soul. They mean that we sleep in our bodies. And one clear way to see that is that Daniel 12, verse 2, speaks of, us, speaks of those that are sleeping in the dust. Well, it's in our bodies that we're sleeping in the, in the dust. And it speaks of how they will awake, those that are in the dust awakening. Well, that's referring to them sleeping in their bodies, not in their, in their soul. It's important that we speak of going to heaven when we die. That people should not, no one should be opposed to that statement. The idea that we go to heaven when we die. It's true that the bodily resurrection we is also promised. We don't, we don't, when we think of the after this life, we don't only think about going to heaven in our soul. We also do think of the, and believe the truth concerning the bodily resurrection. But it is correct to say that when we die, we go to heaven. 
as our confession says, my soul after this life shall be immediately, not going to purgatory, shall immediately taken up to Christ its head. Well, where is Christ our head? Well, he sent it into heaven. And we will be taken up to Christ our head immediately. That's amazing. Certainly, if you or I were dying, and quite often it is the case that a saint has some time to think of the fact that they're dying, not always. Of course, we know. But there's a number of times where a saint is aware of the fact, even if they can't communicate with us, they are perceiving that it's looking like the time of them going to glory is going to be soon. You think of how, what your thoughts would be like at that time. That you're lying there, maybe you're unable to talk, and you're noticing that the room is filled with your family. And you're probably able to hear some things that people are saying, even though you're not able to respond. The thought of where you're going to go immediately, immediately, your soul is going to be taken up to Christ. It's amazing, but it's true. We don't, and we don't have any doubt. The believer would lie there not doubting that although there have been times there have been times that God, some of God's people have struggled and had had doubts that's true yet God does comfort his people even in times when they personally may have doubts we don't have perfect faith The faith God works in us is, is a knowledge it's a, and it's a confidence. God works in us that faith and, and we know, I mean, when God tells us rejoice that your name, you know your names are written in heaven, that we do, we know that. And that when we die, we are putting off this tabernacle and our bodies are going to need to break apart. And in this life, we were already experiencing, depending on what age we are, we've been experiencing our bodies getting weaker. And on the one hand, those earthly ties are going to be broken, and that can be very, very hard. That tie between a husband and a wife is so, so close. For a husband and wife that, that truly love one another, and they do know that that tie does break at that time, the earthly tie. And yet they're still going to be together. Though be it for a time that one will be going to glory and the other continues on for a time, that still united in Jesus Christ. And one day they will be together, body and soul. And we have no doubt that that's true. 
sin will be no we'll never sin anymore we'll be present with the lord we will have joy we'll never be lonely you think of the loneliness in this life there's a lot of times when one feels lonely many saints have times in their life where they feel lonely well, we'll all, we're going to all be together and we will together commune together have fellowship together and there won't be one of us lacking what a joy and yet for the saints in glory right now, of course it is the case for them right now that there are some that aren't there. And their bodies are still in the grave. And the Bible tells us about what's going to happen when Christ returns. For the ungodly, as was mentioned, they not only are suffering now in their soul, but it's the case that their bodies will be raised. And there will be a final judgment. So it's not only the case that they suffer in their soul now, but the day is going to come that their bodies are going to be raised and they're going to be cast into what's referred to as the lake of fire. There is a judgment to come which is an important part of what we are to mention as we witness. We talk about the truth of salvation by grace alone, especially as many people deny that truth or don't have an understanding of it. They may have never heard it explained correctly. It's important for us to mention the subject of the final judgment. Paul, speaking before Felix, spoke of how there's going to be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Before the governor Felix, he spoke of that. Not only the just, but the unjust. And it says, as he reasoned of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come, Felix trembled. Those of this world would like not to think about that, that that's reality. They go through this life and just have their mind on the pleasures of what they want to experience in this life often laugh as they take advantage of other people. And then the thought that after they die, there will be suffering and that their bodies will one day be raised and that there will be a judgment is terrifying. It is important that we bear witness to that truth and also bear witness to the fact that we're to repent, believe in Christ, turn away from sin, turn to Christ Jesus the Lord. There's forgiveness. 
turn to him in sorrow, confessing one's sin, that there is forgiveness. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And those believing in Jesus Christ, they have hope, as we're talking about. The others will be punished everlastingly. Concerning the bodily resurrection, there is this future bodily resurrection. It's interesting uh, that there were those that denied the bodily resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, which we read, in verse 12, the question was asked, How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? There were those that said that there wasn't going to be a resurrection. Or in 1 Timothy, we read of those that said the resurrection is past already. And the Bible speaks of the resurrection, the future resurrection of all those that are in the grave. That obviously hasn't happened. A real bodily resurrection of all those that are in the grave. But that is what the scriptures say. And there will be this one resurrection. Another error is the teaching of these multiple resurrections separated by different periods of time. Dispensational Baptists typically speak of different times of resurrection. There's a resurrection before the Great Tribulation. There's a resurrection after the Great Tribulation. And then there's a resurrection after the thousand years, which is in a millennium, a thousand years. There's a resurrection after the thousand years. And they'll go to different passages to show this is where this resurrection is going to be and so on. And whereas we would look at different passages on the resurrection and put them together and see the instruction they teach us about the resurrection... They've come up with this idea that there's these multiple resurrections. Where the Bible makes clear that there's going to be one resurrection. All that are in the graves. Jesus made that quite clear when he said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. That's pretty clear. John 5, verse 28. And shall come forth, and then the distinction. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So there's the distinction. But it clearly brings out that it's going to happen at this one time. There has already been, for a believer, a believer has already been spiritually resurrected. What does that mean? What that means is that we talk about that frequently. That our spirit went from being dead to being alive. And we have spiritual life that only a believer has. And that spiritual life does not end. So we already, that, that, has, that has already happened. Spiritual 
resurrection in a believer. Yet there will be the time when our bodies will be raised, and it will be the same body. Our bodies will be changed, not replaced. Which is the same thing with Jesus' resurrection. It wasn't that the body he used to have was still lying there in the grave clothes. And then he appeared to them outside and said, that's my old, that's the body I, that's the body I used to have. This is the body I have now. It's been replaced with this one. That's not what happened. There was, his body was not in those grave clothes. It was the same body. But now there was a change. So it will be with us. Notice that it says, after this life, this my body, this my body will be raised by the power of Christ. That's astounding. But that's true. Shall be reunited with my soul. The human is both body and soul. My body reunited with my soul. The Belgian Confession uses the same language. That's amazing. We don't know how is that how is that going to be? There are saints that died so long ago. And some have died in, you know, in horrible fires. That may be. But it's going to happen. God tells us, and we have no doubt that it's really going to happen. And 1 Corinthians 15 makes some distinctions. It's sown in corruption. The first three terms that are found in verse 42 and verse 43, those terms have to do with the difference between the fact that we're sinners and man fell in, well, man fell into sin. And now when we talk about the body, we, corruption, dishonor, weakness. Well, when we're raised, it's sown in corruption. It's going to be raised in incorruption. Incorruption. It won't corrupt. It's sown in dishonor. And we grow to see that too. Our body is also called the body of of this humiliation. Dishonor. And as we get older, we start to see what's happening to our bodies. We spend time trying to make our bodies look better, but we do see what's happening. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. The body that you will have. will be raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. That's another thing. Not only is it the case 
that we grow to look at our bodies as we get older and we see more of this idea of the dishonor. But we also notice we don't have the strength, we don't have the energy we once did. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. The power. That's amazing. Amazing to think of that. Glorious. Powerful. That's what's going to happen. The body that you will, when your bodies are raised, it'll be powerful. The, the body you have now will be incorruptible, it'll be glorious, and it'll be powerful. That is astounding. And it's the truth of the Word of God, of which we have no doubt. The last term that's used here is a bit more difficult to grasp. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. The term that's translated natural is a word that comes from the word soul. There's a distinction here between the soul, the term soul, and the term spirit. It's sown a, the, a term that could be used would be something like soulish. It's sown a soulish body. It's raised a spiritual body. Now, when we mention that last phrase, a spiritual body, we bring out that that spiritual body does not mean it's not going to be material. One might think of that, that from using that term, but that's not what it means. It's going to be a real body, material, beyond what we can fully comprehend. But there is this distinction between what you could call a soulish body or a soul body and a spirit body. Soulish and spiritual. And then the distinction between the two is related to the distinction between Adam and Christ. Adam was a living soul. Christ was, it says... The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, and that's what Christ is called, the last Adam, was made a quickening spirit. So you have the distinction between soul and spirit, and you have the distinction between a soul that's a living soul and a spirit that's quickening, that makes others alive. And there's a distinction then between the body that we have, you know, we are, the, the human nature from Adam on down, Adam the head, and as that human nature from, from is, is passed down, that we have that soul body where we, we have a spiritual soul and a material body. In our soul, our mind with our material, with our mind tends to be on the things of this earth. Adam, as a living soul, knew the things that were of the earth. For him to know something else than earthly things, 
he'd need to have it revealed to him. See, it says the first man is of the earth earthy. So that's another word that's used. We, we look at the first man, he was a living soul, he was earthy. The last Adam, or the second man, he's a quickening, it says, he was made a quickening spirit. He's referred to as the Lord from heaven. So there seems to be this distinction between the body that we have now that can see earthly things and the body that we will one day have where we will be able to see heavenly things. And that's beyond my full comprehension how that's going to be. But there seems to be something about that in this distinction that is brought up here. The last Adam is our head. Christ is our head. And he directs us by his spirit and we will be able to see things that now we can't see. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. The creation itself is going to be delivered. The creation itself is going to go from corruption to incorruption. It's going to be delivered from corruption. The creation itself there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new heaven. And it's the same thing with regard to the earth. This earth. It's just like you can point to your body and say, this body, this earth that we stand on. It's going to go, on, going to go through fire to cleanse it. He'll be liberated from the bondage of corruption. That, that's the truth. We marvel to think of it. And yet we know, we have no doubt that this is the truth of the word of God. Christ was raised. It's certain that we will be raised. He is going to make us like himself. When we talk about us being incorruptible, glorious in power, powerful, all, and what is mentioned here, spiritual body, we have to connect those with Christ. Christ is glorious. Christ is powerful. The incorruptible Christ, he's your head. And he will raise your body and it conform your body to his. That's astounding. And then we'll live forever. Life everlasting. We already have the beginning, we say in this article. What comfort takest thou from the article of life everlasting? Say, I feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. 
We, it's interesting how it's written there. It not only says, I have this eternal joy, but it says, I feel in my heart. The beginning of eternal joy. We do have that. God has worked in us faith. We have joy as we contemplate life everlasting. After this life, he says, I feel right now I already have, I already have everlasting life. I already have a spiritual life that's not going to end. After this life, after this I, life, I shall inherit perfect salvation, which I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man to conceive. And that to praise God. There's what we will do and desire to do, to praise God. To praise God therein forever. We will reign. There's, there's activity in the life to come. We will reign with Christ. Right now, as kings, we fight against sin and Satan. We will reign with Christ everlastingly. We will be active. And the Spirit assures us of that. He not only tells us, the Spirit not only, not only do we know from Scripture that believers go to heaven when they die, but he works in us so that we say, this is true for me personally. And notice how the confession is written that way too. It's not only... What is the confet what's the comfort of the believer? But it's written, what is your only comfort? Yours. What comfort takest thou? It's not simply what, what comfort do believers take? You. What comfort takest thou from the article of life everlasting? And then we respond, say, I. I now feel this. And after this life, I shall inherit not only others, but me personally. God works in us faith. And we make that confession with joy. We look forward to what's going to be the full realization of the marriage of Christ and his church. That's what it's going to be. As the book of Revelation speaks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. The full realization of that marriage. All the members now of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ there. That were changed. Some will, some will be alive up to the time that Christ comes, but they'll be changed. We'll all be together. We'll all be with our Lord together. There'll be the judgment on the whore. 
The Bible in the book of Revelation speaks of the whore and the judgment upon the whore, the false church, and it also speaks of the full realization of the marriage of Christ and his bride, the church, and how we long for his coming. And while we are looking forward to that, be abounding in the work of the Lord. My beloved brethren here, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye, may we be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, being busy in the work of the Lord, abounding in that work with joy. For we know, we have no doubt, our labor is not in vain in the Lord. May we live in hope. And may we talk on these things. And may we together glorify our God, our Savior, our Redeemer. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God. Oh, Lord, our Father. We are so thankful for thy grace. So thankful for thy mercy. We are sinners. And we are so sorry for our many sins. Lord, forgive us. And Lord, strengthen us. As we hear the call. As we hear what thou dost promise us. And also what thou dost call us to do. Grant us thy grace. We do believe. We believe that what thou hast promised us. And may we by faith be busy in, in the work. May we be diligent in our work in the home and outside of the home. And may we work together as those who truly are members of the body of Christ. May thy name be praised. Amen.